I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, everybody. Before we get going this month, I just wanted to bring up the tornado that tore through Nashville last night. Um, I'm just getting up today and hearing about all the devastation that occurred. I'm about eight or nine miles south of the city and we were safe. There was just a really bad storm here where, where I am last night. But the tornado touched down in Germantown, which is basically just a little neighborhood right outside of downtown. It hit downtown and then it hit East Nashville, where a lot of the music community and studios and you know a lot of great restaurants and, and stores and stuff are all based in East Nashville. And there's, there was a big tornado that tore through there in 98, and uh, there was one last night, and it was devastating and awful to see all the damage that's occurred. And I just wanted to say that me and, and us here working on this podcast are behind everybody and, and our hearts go out to them. And, you know, hopefully there's something that we can do on this show as a musical community to get behind rebuilding some of the damage that was caused. One of the great venues of the city, the Basement East, was completely destroyed basically just torn into shreds. Um, and, uh, I haven't heard about any damage to studios yet. Luckily all my friends are okay. Um, I have a friend, Fats Kaplan, who some of the listeners here on this show would know from being on an episode and Fats had a, a lot of damage to his house and had his car destroyed. I will be watching and listening and hopefully there's something that we as music fans and as the music community, here in Nashville, but also perhaps abroad, maybe there are things that we can do to show our support, but also like actually do something if if needed. And so if you would like to get involved in donating to Nashville Relief, there are some ways set up that I will tell you about right now. I'd also like to encourage you to get behind the Basement East, which is the great venue that got completely destroyed in Nashville last night. Um, there's two basements in Nashville. There's the basement and the basement east. The basement east is the one that got hit. It was the big one uh, of the two, and it was completely destroyed. They're already talking about, you know, maybe finding a new venue or whatever. They haven't processed the whole thing yet. This just happened. So uh, I would just say to stay up to date with the basement website. And if you look up the basement Nashville, you'll find their website. And, and I would imagine there's going to be a bunch of benefits and things like that, that you could attend and help out that way. Um, there's a couple of United Way sites that have cropped up already and they're legit. Um, you know, it's hard to know exactly what's going on out there when it comes to this kind of thing, but, um, United Way does have a very legit way of getting involved, helping out. And if you feel like kicking in some dough towards them, then you can do that by texting relief 2020 to 41444. So that's relief, R E L I E F 2020 to 41444. And there's also a website set up uh, also for the United Way, and that is http colon slash slash I G F as in Frank N dot US 
slash F, again as in Frank, slash 2OZ, or Z as you say here in America, zero slash N. So it's kind of a weird one. I'll just say it again, HTTP colon slash slash IGFN dot US slash F slash 2OZ0 slash N. And that's it. You can go there. That's a really easy way to donate. There's just like a button for 25 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks. So go do that and give Nashville a helping hand if you feel so inclined. I strongly encourage you to check it out. And we here at the podcast, our hearts go out to everybody that was affected directly and just hearing about the devastation and the damage and the lives lost is heartbreaking. And I just wanted to say that before we kick into this month's episode. Obviously, this this episode was recorded a few weeks ago. I also just wanted to mention that because this episode was a lot of fun to do and it's pretty lighthearted and we have a lot of laughs on here. And that's why it doesn't come up, obviously. But I know Trey Hensley probably knows a bunch of people that were affected. And I just wanted to let you know that that's what happened. And so on with the show. And thank you for listening. Hello, music nerds. Welcome back to Music Makers and Soul Shakers. I'm your host, Steve Dawson, coming to you from the Hen House Studio in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm a guitarist, songwriter, and producer originally from Vancouver, Canada. I love all aspects of making records. So I thought I'd make a podcast and bring in a slew of folks who've also made records in one way or another and yak about it with them. Each month, I'll be bringing you an in-depth conversation with a new guest. It may be a musician, a songwriter, a producer, or an engineer, but each of these people will have a fascinating story to tell about their lives and their involvement in the process of being a music maker and or a soul shaker. Thanks for joining me, and feel free to reach out to me through the podcast website at www.stevedawson.ca. And now, here's another episode of Music Makers and Soul Shakers. Hey, music nerds, welcome back to the show. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Uh, Before I go any further, I am incredibly tardily started a um, Instagram page for the podcast. So go and follow it. Do that whole thing. It's Instagram slash makers and shakers podcast. Go uh, sign up there and see some stuff as it comes out. Okay, on with the show. This month we have an incredible guest. This dude is a killer guitar player. His name is Trey Hensley and he has a a duo that is very active these days. They go by Rob and Trey, or sometimes Rob Ikes and Trey Hensley. I don't know what it officially goes by, but Rob and Trey together have made three really cool records, starting with The Country Blues, their second one, Before the Sun Goes Down, I think it's called. And the, the recent one, which just came out not very long ago, is called World Full of Blues. And it's very cool. Lots of crazy guitar and dobro playing. 
by these monsters. And they also have guests like Taj Mahal and Vince Gill, which is pretty cool too. But mostly it's the two of them being maniacs on their instruments. And Trey's an incredible singer as well. And you can find out more about them at robandtrey.com. That's robandtrey, T-R-E-Y.com. So make sure you go and check them out. So we're talking guitars here. There's actually like, I have a few of these coming up over the next few months with, uh, it's a little heavy on the guitar world. So I hope that's all right with everybody. If it's not, I don't know, make your own podcast. That's not about guitar players. Uh, but that's what's in store for you. And this month is no exception. Trey, I've known just for a little while. I met him at the Elnora Guitar Festival. We met and then walked on stage and played a show together, an improvised show with me and him and Rob and Luther Dickinson and Molly Tuttle. And it was wonderful. And I had Molly Tuttle on the show then. And I remember mentioning in the intro that there was a few young bluegrass players that were really blowing my mind these days. And Molly Tuttle was one of them even though she's not necessarily into the bluegrass thing strictly anymore. Neither are any of these guys really, but but they are firmly, firmly rooted in the tradition of bluegrass flat picking and are really blowing my mind with their innovation and their technical prowess and, frankly, their young, sickeningly young age. <laughs> so Molly uh, has been on the show a few episodes back. Go check her out. She's wonderful. And uh, Trey is, I don't know, he's in his 20s. Um, he's a youngster, but he's also a bit of a veteran. Like he, if you go, I'd like you, okay, here's, here's a little homework for you. Go on YouTube right now and, and Google, or I mean, you know what I mean? YouTube, Trey Hensley, Grand Ole Opry, and it should come up. He's on there when he's 11 or 12, maybe playing with, um, Marty Stewart and Earl Scruggs walks out and plays with them. It's pretty bananas, and he's really great, and he's going to talk all about that on this uh, episode here. I know bluegrass might not be your your jam exactly, but hey, you know, um, I think this might be a good opportunity to wet your whistle a little bit if you're not too hip to the bluegrass world. We talk a lot in this episode about Trey's influences, and one name that comes up in a big way is Tony Rice, and I think it would be befitting of you to know a little bit about Tony Rice. So go and do a little Tony Rice homework maybe before we start this show. You'll hear a few clips as as we go. You should know a little bit about that before you before we get going. So go do yourself a favor, listen to some Tony Rice. Might I suggest Manzanita is a really good place to start. So before we get going, I always like to tell you a little bit about how you can get behind the show and support it. The first and foremost way is I would love if everybody listening, I know that's not going to happen, but maybe, you know, one in a thousand of you will go onto Apple Music and leave a review for the show. There's quite a few up there now, which is awesome, but I could always use more. What that does is it hips Apple Podcast to the fact that people are listening and enjoying the show. And it, if there's enough, eventually, if there gets to be enough reviews, then they will put it into like a featured section, which just garners a whole bunch more listeners. And that's what I'm shooting for when I'm asking you to go over there, give it a nice juicy five-star review and leave a few words and that would be hugely appreciated and hey listen if you're a big fan of the show and you would like to to help keep it going i do ask for financial contributions to the show to keep my expenses down and have all that stuff not paid out of my pocket and uh you know i'm not really getting there these days and it would be great (laughs) if uh if any avid listeners felt like kicking in you can do it two ways one is a one-time donation the other is a monthly thing, even very small, helps out through Patreon. You can 
find all the, the information on all that stuff at my website, which is stevedawson.ca or thehenhousestudio.com and go to the podcast page and it's all there. There's a one-time donation. There's a Patreon monthly donation. You can also buy a t-shirt. That's another cool way to help out. And lastly, a word from this week's sponsors, Union, Tube, and Transistor. They have some new products coming down the line. First of all, they're doing a killer new guitar signal splitter called the GBX95. It allows you to split your guitar to up to 6 amps plus a DI, which is actually way harder to do than it should be. Very handy for recording multiple guitar amps. Next, they're about to release their 343 guitar amp. It features a very unique 10 and 12 inch speaker switching feature. You can run one or both speakers for tonal options. And finally, their lab compressor pedal is a little optical compressor and is killer both in front of a guitar amp or as a piece of outboard studio gear. I use one pretty much all the time. Head on over to uniontone.com to find out more. All right then, let's do this. Here is this month's episode of Music Makers and Soul Shakers. So maybe tell me a bit about the guitar you brought. Yeah, let's this is a, uh, it's a bourgeois. Yeah. Um, they're made up in Maine, and I got it back in, uh, in September. Oh, it's they, a newie. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really new. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of like a, I guess like a J35 copy. Yeah. Um, but it's... Yeah, Adirondack top, and then it's got Sinker Mahogany, which I love. It's kind of my okay, favorite yeah. thing, you know, uh, Sinker Mahogany. And uh, I mean, to me, it sounds more like, I don't know, it's, it's a lot fatter than just regular mahogany. Do you own or play many, like, really vintage, like, classic bluegrass instruments? I only have one, okay. uh, and it's not really like, you know, the the classic years, but it's a 54 D28 that oh, I really okay. love, you know. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because that guitar... Um, I got it when I was like 13. Really? Uh, this, this friend of mine out in East Tennessee had just gotten it and he played in this, uh, this gospel band out there and I just kind of played it at a jam session one night and I loved it and, uh, you know, just, he, he could tell that I really liked it and, and, uh, I mean like less than a month goes by and this, the band that he was in kind of disbanded and, and they split up and it, yeah. it really just, uh. He he just got rid of everything, sold every guitar that he had, and uh, and he called my dad and said, you know, I know that Trey really liked that that D twenty eight, and he said, you know, I got it for for a song, basically, and you know, I'll just give it to him for whatever I have in it. And at that point, I'd been playing shows, you know, for like three years or something like that, and I had a seasoned, nothing else to spend, spend money on, you know, so, Yeah, right. Uh, Not a lot of responsibility. Yeah, yeah. a lot of <laughs> lot of mowing grass money, and uh, and so I got that guitar, you know. Then and and luckily I got it then because yeah, I could never never get a fifties Martin now. Yeah, but it's really weird, man. I'll use it on sessions. Yeah, and it does not like it does everything. It's weird that it does everything. Most of those you know D twenty eights just kind of do one thing. They're uh-huh. really focused, but it. I mean, it, I played it on a. Uh, a Jason Eady record last year, and it's mm-hmm. a lot of that stuff I would have probably used like a, a Gibson style guitar for. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of strumming, and and it just kind of did everything. And then there was a couple of bluegrass songs that it just nailed, and yeah. so it's kind of my all around studio guitar, and it's been okay. beat all the. So down. you still use it on records? Yeah, currently. yeah. And actually, I I put a pickup in it a couple years ago. Oh, I bit the bullet, and <laughs> I really like these uh, LR bags, um, the lyrics and the anthems. Uh-huh. And so for that one, I just put a lyric in it because I didn't want to put anything under the saddle. Okay. And um, what is the lyric? Is that it's a... just a so it's like a microphone 
that goes underneath the soundboard. Okay. And so then, yeah, the only thing they really have to do is put the end pin jack, which was right. That was pretty scary on a yeah. 54 because it's 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 got a bunch of cracks and stuff. But I mean, it's all stable and yeah. But I didn't want to be the one to give it a new, <laughs> new crack. <laughs> but man, if I'm if I own them, I'm, I'm gonna play them. Yeah. You know, I don't want to. Yeah. That's. Do you own a lot of guitars at this point? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, well, not not a whole bunch, but I, you know, I probably own. 20 or 25, yeah. you know, total with. Uh, so, and and you're known, obviously, as an acoustic player, but tell me about your, like, do you play a lot of electric? Do you get a chance yeah. to play electric these days? Yeah, I mean, not, I don't get a, a lot of chances to play electric, but. Uh, I've seen you yeah, ripping. Yeah, I mean, I love on, playing electric guitar. I, yeah. I, I started out playing acoustic, yeah. and then I got an electric guitar when I was probably 16 or 17. Okay. And because I started playing acoustic when I was 10, and then when I started playing electric, I just kind of forgot the acoustic guitar yeah. for a long time. And I played, I had a country band and a, uh-huh. a rock and roll band and yeah. uh, kind of a blues and jazz band uh, all up until I moved to Nashville. And then when Rob and I got together, you know, we uh, kind of stuck mainly to acoustic instruments. But we are working on a record, Kind of top secret at this point, I guess. But we're we're working on a new record mm-hmm. that I'm playing mostly electric guitar on. So, oh wow, cool! Um, which is fun with Rob. Yeah, with Rob. Okay, and so um, it's totally different than yep. what I'm normally yeah. used to. Um, but I love playing electric guitar. That's yeah. You know, when I'm home, I seems like I play electric guitar. Oh really? Especially when my uh, you know if, if my wife and daughter aren't home, then I can <laughs> crank my amp and yeah, yeah. you know make the windows shake. Uh, <laughs> and so I like I like doing you know the electric stuff. Yeah. Uh, so you've opened a few cans of worms, but let me jump on this can of worms. Uh, <laughs> so you talked about being thirteen and like already doing gigs. Yeah. So tell me about like your early experiences getting it. Like how'd you get into music so young and like. What, yeah. were you, what were you doing when you were 10? Like, what? give me a, yeah. give me a slice of that. Uh, so I started, for some, well, I spent a lot of time with my, my granddad when I was a kid. Okay. And he was into music, like nobody in my family plays music. Mm-hmm. My dad played banjo when I was real little, and then he sold it probably when I was, you know, oh. five or six. I just remember it. Yeah, he, Probably poorly played Cripple Creek one last time, <laughs> put it in the case, and <laughs> put it on, uh, you know, the the in the newspaper to sell and yeah uh and so you know nobody was really musical but i you, you grew up in tennessee right i did yeah i grew right. up in uh in a little town called jonesboro tennessee okay. and uh and so but my dad loved music and uh there was always music going on and then my granddad really loved music and uh so like in the summer times i would go and he had you know a sizable piece of land and you know, I would just kind of go help him around. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really a farm, but it was, you know, enough, you know, cows and stuff to have a lot to do during the summer. And, yeah. and so I would help him with that. And he would always just kind of, you know, park his truck somewhere and play music most of the day. Or he would be singing songs. And um, Was he a guitar player? Or what no, was... he didn't. He didn't play at all. Just, oh, okay. just He just loved music. And he, he uh, so he, I guess I, I don't know if he heard me singing sometimes. I don't know, but he got me hooked up with uh, this, like, little gospel band when I was six. And so I would, like, go and sing with these this this gospel band occasionally. And then I don't have, I don't have much, you know, recollection of, of all that. But yeah. uh, 
Uh, there are cassette tapes that I made when I was like six, seven, and eight. No shit. That are really horrible. So <laughs> I hope they, they better stay buried somewhere. At that point, were you listening to like some of the great singers and stuff? Yeah. You... I mean, you know, my granddad was really into Hank Williams. You know, okay. that, was, that was kind of his favorite. Hank Williams and George Jones and Roy Acuff were his. He yeah. was really into Flat and Scruggs, too. He had a, a pretty sizable Flat and Scruggs record collection. And, yeah. Um, and so he, you know, that was kind of the first stuff I remember hearing was Flat and Scruggs that I cool. really loved. Yeah, and so I guess when I went, when I was nine, my parents took me to this bluegrass festival mm-hmm. out in East Tennessee. And um, I don't know that they had been before. I guess they had, but uh, that year the headliners of the festival were Jimmy Martin and Charlie Waller. So it's wow. two really great, yeah. you know. Classics. You know, rhythm guitar players and singers. Yeah. And and so I remember they, I mean, they were like back to back on whatever day it was that we went. And it was just like a one-two punch, you know. Right. I, I can't remember who went out first, but I just remember loving Charlie Waller because he, he would play a lot of lead stuff, you uh-huh. know. And uh, Himself, was he, a, he, he was, was like a flat picker? Yeah, I mean, it was very... I don't want to say basic, but like he played under the double eagle, yeah. you know, which is a, it's it's kind of more like a run yeah. song, you know, but it's, it was great. I loved it. And, and, uh, and then Jimmy was just like a cartoon character or something. Yeah. You know? And, and, um, and so I went home and, and told my dad, so at that time I was playing baseball and, uh, I was like, I don't, I don't want to play baseball anymore. I think I want to play guitar. Really? And it was weird because I mean, I loved playing baseball and, but uh-huh. you know, it's like, uh, I just felt like I wanted to be playing guitar. You felt like you had to do like one or the other. Yeah, kind of I felt yeah. like I did, um, just timing wise, because I was I think I was playing on like two or three baseball teams, mm-hmm. you know, and so it was taking up a lot of my time. And I think my dad even said that he was like, you know, you can only do probably only have time for one or the other if you really want to commit to it. Because he had taken banjo lessons, he knew that it was a, you know, like it was a, a grind. Uh, it's a grind. You gotta <laughs> you gotta put in that time. Yeah, and. So yeah, I mean, I started taking guitar lessons, and uh, I took about six months of guitar lessons, and uh-huh. then my the the teacher was just kind of like, ah, you know, he's he can. Were you were you a bit of a whiz kid? I mean, well, you, you I must mean, have been. I just loved it so much that you know I would work on the songs that he would teach me. Yeah, and well, it was just one of those things where you know it's like normally he would set aside a month for like here's the chords but then by the end of the month you know we were working on songs that he would have been teaching me and it's just you know more or less i would just spend that time just playing them and then i would call him up you know the next day and be like okay i got this one can you show me something else over the phone (laughs) do you remember do you remember one of the early things that he that you would have learned yeah i mean the first thing i learned was uh jimmy brown the newsboy because that was what i wanted to learn can you show can you show yeah and that's uh like a carter family thing but it's very you know chord bass well i mean the the first record i really remember having was uh flat and scruggs singing the famous songs of the carter family and oh, I didn't uh know they, I didn't know they it's a really weird record it's, really it's uh it's great i love it but earl plays a lot of guitar on it really and um yeah like half the record earl's playing guitar and mother maybell's on all of it playing auto harp 
And What's Lester doing while Earl's playing guitar? He's playing guitar too. So it's oh, like okay. I love that. I love hearing Jimmy Brown the Newsboy because mm-hmm. Lester's playing rhythm, uh-huh. yeah, at a, at a G position, and then Earl's got a capo on the seventh fret. Oh, cool! Yeah. Playing out of C, you know, yeah. it's just this real cool sound. But the record's weird because they they put some kind of delay on the entire record, <laughs> and it's like this just. I mean, it's a great. Is it like brilliant late, late '60s kind of thing? Or it's what? it's not. It's like an early, probably an early mid '60s thing. Really, but you can tell it's like super early technology, and yeah. it's like they hadn't got it figured out quite right. yet. But they're like, a, somebody brought in like a, it, a put slap it on the whole record. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> it's like That's everything funny. needs this on it. Oh, I gotta check that out. Okay. It's great, man. It's and that was the first record that I just absolutely fell in love with. There's a song. Uh, I think they call it False Hearted Lover, but it's, you know, Larry Sparks did a version of it called Carter Blues, which is... It's just weird yeah. hearing Earl, you know, play all this, this really cool stuff. That, so he was a... He was, he was a well, he played, yeah, he played with... Uh, finger picks and just like he played banjo. Oh, weird. He played all that stuff. Because Lester was that. a finger picker too, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. And so, yeah, I think Lester had a, a, thumb, a thumb pick, pick and, a flat, yeah. or and a finger pick where One you just do pick. like a claw, yeah. weird looking thing. And, yeah. Um, Did you ever see those guys? Like you were, you're I never saw Lester, but uh, so about six months after I started playing, I found out Marty Stewart was coming to this uh, fair out in East Tennessee. Okay. And I was a big Marty Stewart fan, you know. I yeah. remembered seeing all these uh, videos on CMT when I was a right. kid. And, and yeah. I always loved you know, his kind of bluegrass. He, he interjected a lot of that. And uh, yeah. it always seemed like real music, you know, and especially in that era where there's a lot of fake stuff kind Bullshit. of starting to happen, you know. Yeah. And... Uh, and so I wanted to go meet him. I had this big felt guitar case that I'd ordered for a musician's <laughs> friend. Yeah. Or no, first quality. Yeah, it was just, I think it's pre-musician's <laughs> friend. And, uh, and so I had it, and I wanted him to sign it. And my dad, just, I don't, he's always kind of been like a smooth talker that he can, you know, get into these positions. And, and so he it's talked good to, to have the, a dad like that. Yeah, I mean, he, he, so he somehow got us backstage to meet Marty. Wow. Like, with no problem at all, you know. And, uh... I think I just mentioned it. He was like, oh yeah, I can, I can get us backstage. And so we got back there, and I just I just thought I had the case with me. I didn't realize I had a guitar, so I carried it up there. And, and as soon as I get up to Marty, my dad says, uh, "Hey, Marty, my son really wants to play you a song on the guitar." And I was like, "I we had not talked about that before." And so I was like, "Ah," oh. and now I was going to play a song, but you know. Dad. And so uh, and so I played him Jimmy Brown the Newsboy, and uh, well he so he said, "Okay, well." Yeah, you can play me a song, you know, sit back here behind me. and I'm, How, how I old are you, like 12, 13? So that was six months after I started playing, so I was still 10. Holy shit. And, uh, and so I played that, and he stopped signing autographs, and he turned around, and he said, do you, do, can you play anything else? And so I played Wildwood Flower and Storms on the Ocean. Yeah. And uh, he said, oh, you got to come up on stage with me tonight and do that. Oh, wow. And so I did that. And then after we got off stage, he said... Uh, that Was that totally bonkers? Yeah, I mean, it... Or were you just like, huh, this is what you it did? I'm, I'm glad it was then instead of me starting now because at that point it just didn't register yeah. as much as it probably should have, you know. And it was just like, okay, well, this is this is awesome. I mean, I was very excited about it, mm-hmm. but I was I think I was too naive to be nervous at that point. So we got off stage, and he just immediately knew where I'd learned it from because there's licks in Jimmy Brown like the... 
that's Earl. You know, it's, it's right. like that's the only person that played that was Earl. And so he knew that I had that record. And, and, okay. you know, and so he said, well, I want you to come play it on the Opry. And, uh, <laughs> and so two months later, you know, I get this phone call. Really? And he says, you know, can you be here? And, and yes, yeah, the last night. That's of the, actually pretty damn cool of him. Because, yeah, like, it was super cool. And like him, to man. remember and like actually yeah, follow through and on follow like through that. on it was oh. super cool. And he had me there and he said, uh, you know, I've got a surprise for you. And so when, when I get there, I'm kind of standing, getting ready for sound check, and freaking Earl Scruggs walks no in. No way. And uh, he's carrying his guitar case. Yeah. And so Marty got him up, and we did Jimmy Brown you know, together shit. on the Opry. And, and you didn't know this was happening. I didn't either. know it was going to happen, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and oh my God. we had like a two-hour span you know, before we played. Yeah. That it was just me and Earl and wow. his wife, Louise, in a room. And he was so nice. And there's a lot of pictures that my dad took of me and Earl picking. And I mean, he just yeah. like spent that two hours kind of showing me stuff. and you, Like showing you guitar showing stuff? Showing me guitar stuff. Oh. And, and uh, just super. I mean, he, that, he was my, yeah, my biggest hero at that point. Yeah. And, Did uh, he tell you some cool stories? Yeah, and so I got to know him and Louise fairly well. And, and so every time they would come, that Earl would play in East Tennessee, um, or anywhere kind of around there, he would give me a call and like, have me come in and sit in with the band. And actually, that's the first place I met Rob. Was oh, He was okay. playing in Earl's band. Oh, really? And so okay. I met Rob when I was probably 12 or 13, <laughs> no sitting in at the Tennessee Theater in yeah. Knoxville. Wow. And uh, so, yeah, that was... So you're doing stuff like that. Like, were you? did you also have a band? Like, with... Yeah, I did. I mean, I had a bluegrass band. Um, like with other then... kids your age? Or... No, okay, no. So it was, it was all there like... was not a lot of kids. I mean, this was... This was right before Oh Brother, and so right. Bluegrass was still super dorky at my <laughs> school. Yeah, I was like, I played the Opry, and everybody's like, ah, who cares, you know? Yeah. That's, that's, that's not cool. So, Were you yeah. self-conscious about that as a kid? Were you like, ah, I was. You, were, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I was very self-conscious about it, uh -huh. but at the same time, it's like, I, I loved it, and... You know, if, if nobody else in my school got Tony Rice. Yeah. It's funny because I was just thinking about this coming over here. I was listening to uh, the, this great box set that's come out of all the Jimi Hendrix uh, Fillmore stuff. Yeah. I remember getting into this argument when I was in middle school with this kid who kept saying, oh, Jimi Hendrix is the best guitar player ever. And I was like, no, it's Tony Rice. And it's <laughs> obviously Tony Rice. He's the best guitar player ever. <laughs> like, how dumb. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was definitely not cool. And even, yeah. even after... Oh, brother, it still wasn't super cool. And, so yeah. what kind of gigs, like, what kind of gigs were you doing in those days? And I did everything. I played everywhere. For, and I stayed really busy, you know. You I did, stayed, eh? I missed a lot of school. Yeah. Like, all my... Were you on the road with the band? Yeah. You know. From played, what age? Really, from then on, you know. Holy shit. I played, you know. I didn't play a ton until I probably got into high school. Yeah. And then I... Um, <clears throat> That's when I started doing like bluegrass gigs and country gigs. Yeah. When I started playing electric guitar, and I did were you a on the road country. like for weeks on end, kind of thing, or was not it more really just like weekends? It was and... more. I mean, we tried to do more weekends, but there was still some. What so? Know. What what was the band? It was just Trey Hensley band. You know, oh, just okay. like a. So the first band that I had was just you know me and um, mandolin player, banjo player, bass player. This is when you're like 14, 15? Yeah, this okay. was like, I mean, probably 10 until then, 10 until 14. Yeah. And then I started getting into more electric stuff. And then it became okay. like, you know, me playing electric guitar. I had a rhythm guitar player, um, pedal steel, drums, and. Cool. And Are there bass. any records? Like, yeah, there's records? two records really? of, of uh, 
my country stuff, you know. Of course, it was when I was, I think I made one record when I was 16 and one when I was 18. And they're so pre- are they pretty, like, full tilt country? Yeah, they're very, very oh, well, country, okay. you know. Like classic um, kind of country? Yeah, country? I don't yeah know. very. And then the second one was a little more, I don't, I don't know, it was... Uh, uh, it was a little more produced than I guess the first one. I had a manager at the time who, who did a lot of great stuff for me and mm-hmm. kept me really busy. And um, and so the second one was, you know, I think the first one was more just trying to figure out what it is I wanted to do. Yeah. And the second one was just a little more polished or something. And then I didn't make a record for a while. I had been writing stuff, yeah. but then I didn't make a record until Rob and I got together oh, okay. and made our our first record. What, so what were what were those studio experiences like? Like had you'd obviously I probably hadn't been in a studio before, right? Well, I'd done. I mean, so before I did those country records, I had already recorded four records oh. before then. So I did my first one. It's kind of a funny story with the first one. Uh, so right after all this stuff at the Opry happened, yeah. I used to play at this place called the Carter Fold in Hilton's Virginia, and it was started by AP and Sarah Carter in the seventies and um, it's kind of like a, a barn out in the middle of Hilton's Virginia, and they have these um, bands play every Saturday night. And so I got to know Jeanette Carter, who was AP and Sarah's daughter. Wow. And she was still running it at the time, yeah. and uh, she would let me play like intermission at all these oh, shows. Okay. And that was kind of the first place that I played was yeah. there. And because, I mean, it was a natural fit because the Carter family stuff via Earl Scruggs, you know, was, was yeah. my first guitar stuff. and. Uh, so I knew all the Carter family songs, and, and so I would just go play intermission, you know. And she just got to kind of rely on me to be there, you know, on, at, at intermission. And if there was something cool happening, she'd always call me. And so one day, you know, I was probably 13, she calls me and she said, are you, you going to be here Saturday night? Yeah. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm going to be here. And, and she said, um, well, you got to come to the fold. She said, uh, uh, Johnny Cash and June Carter is going to be here. Oh, man. And I really want them to hear you. And it's like, okay, I'll be there. And uh, and so I, I got out there and I played intermission. And so when they came, it was just always a top secret. You know, they, they would not they, tell anybody. And then, okay. you know, 10 minutes into it, the word would get out and the place would just be swarming. You right, know? right. And, uh, and so Johnny and June did a set. And then if you look up pictures of the Carterfall, there's like these pews on the, on the back of the stage. And that's where like, all the remaining Carter family would sit while you played. You know, really? so you'd have Jeanette Carter and Joe Carter sitting back there. And, and so that night, it was Jeanette and Joe and Johnny and June sitting back there on the pews Man. when I walked out there to do the, oh, you know, the intermission. Yeah. And kind of unbeknownst to me, I was right in the middle of Storms on the Ocean and Johnny had asked for a vocal mic. And so when it came into the chorus, you know, I hear Johnny Cash's voice coming out of the monitors. He's sitting at the He's back of the room. He's sitting back singing. Oh, and my God. Yeah, it was just like this unreal experience. And then, uh, so a couple of days go by, and I get this phone call. And, uh, I mean, I remember I just got out of school, and I got home. And uh, my mom picked up the phone, and she, I just remember her yelling in there, Trey, you have a phone call, and he says it's Johnny Cash. <laughs> and it's like, okay, well, that's cool. <laughs> so I went and, and uh, talked to him, and he said, hey, we're coming back to the Carter Fold Saturday night, and uh-huh. you know, I'd really like to have you come out there and you know, play a song with us. And also, June's birthday party is Sunday, and uh, I just really want you to come play a couple songs for her. Wow. And so that's I was like, crazy. oh, yeah, I'd love to be there. And so they had her birthday party at Mother Maybell's yeah. house, you know, that's right beside of the Carter Fold, and it, you know, unfortunately it was her last birthday. 
But Tom T. Hall was there. No way. And so the first record that I did was produced and recorded at Tom T's house. No kidding. And yeah, it was because of Johnny Cash. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Johnny came up to Tom T and said, you, you need to do a record yeah. on this kid. Was he involved in the record? He, Johnny wasn't. So at that time, I mean, when I started recording it, Johnny had passed away a couple months before that. Okay. And so, but there was a several times that I went over to their house because they were getting ready to do one last record. Or I mean, it wasn't going to be like one last record, but they were going to get ready to do another record. Yeah. That was going to be a duets thing. And they were going to have me play guitar on it. Oh, my and God. And so I went and, you know, a bunch of times at their house in Hilton's. And, and like worked up material. Worked up material. And so I know there's recorded stuff out there that I'm playing guitar on that I've never heard. But I was So what to, was that process like? Like, would he just, like, throw, like come up with ideas? or like? Yeah, how? I mean, it was very much like we're going to do a lot of Carter family stuff. Okay. You know, and so it was kind of true to the form of, you know, yeah. just. And the times I went over there was just literally me playing guitar with with them and there was a couple times I went over there that Johnny wasn't there um, but you know and it would just be me and June and sometimes Carlene would be there and, and it was songs that they knew really yeah, well yeah songs right? that they knew really well and songs that I knew and uh, so Johnny wasn't playing guitar he was just he wasn't yeah. and uh, but he it was funny because I would always he would always have a bunch of new guitars when I would come over there or like guitars that he bought from pawn shops really and so you know, he'd be like oh, here, here can you Play this one and see what's, and it'd always be like a Martin or something. Yeah, I guess he would just yeah. go into pawn shops and see if they had Martins. But a lot of them, you know, just had been, you know, destroyed right. or whatever. And so the, uh, there was a couple of them that the action was, you know, just like <laughs> seemed like about seven inches off the fretboard, you know. Like, and I don't think there's anything I could do with this unless you want to play it like a dobro. But, yeah. Uh, wow. But yeah, there was a lot of, but the, the first record I did was kind of because of, of Johnny. Wow, and that was at Tom T. Hall's place. It was at Tom T's. And was studio. Tom T. involved? He was, man. He he was there the whole day, and really, him and uh, him and Miss Dixie wrote a lot of the songs that were on the record. And, no kidding. Um, yeah, he was great. I mean, you know, was he the producer or not really? Kind of. Uh, yeah. It was. I don't even know who's listed as a producer. I think Tom T. and. Uh, and his and the engineer okay. were kind of listed as the producer. So these were all like new Tom T. Hall songs that he wrote for you. A lot of them were just kind of new songs. He didn't really specifically write them for me, but he, you know, they'd been writing for. Wow. They just wrote all the time, yeah. and they had a bunch of new material, and and yeah, I think six of the twelve songs were Tom T. and his Dixie songs. And you weren't writing songs at that point. No, okay. I, I don't think I wrote. I think I wrote one song. Or maybe two songs, an instrumental and a and a lyric song on okay. my third record that I made probably when I was okay. fourteen. Yeah. And uh So where were you at guitar wise at this point? Like so you'd you know, you'd figured out all the 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 Carter family stuff and, and some yeah. of that, some of that kind of thing, but where'd you go from there? Like Kinda like Tony Rice mode. Yeah, okay. I, I remember full tilt Tony Rice. Full, full tilt Did you see from, him somewhere? No, a friend of mine had given me a cassette tape. That had manzanita on one side and skies mm-hmm. and rice on the other, and I just remember, you know, first two seconds of that record, oh it's my like God, yeah. I'm done. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I'm I'm hooked. And I remember I spent most of like that year just sitting with that record and learning every single guitar break on it. It was a mind blower. It was a mind blower, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I think that was. You know, it was full tilt Tony Rice until. Were you totally self teaching yourself that stuff? At that point, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, just like like tapes. Yeah. Play pause. Play pause. <laughs> play pause. And then you know the odd chance that it would be something on a record. You yeah. Know, I could, like a Doc Watson record or something. I could just 
put my hand on it, you know, and, yeah. and slow it down a little right. bit. Uh, but I wore out a bunch of records and a couple of needles <laughs> like that, you know, trying to figure it out. Me too. You know. Manzanita was the one for you that you just like learned it the was, whole man. damn it thing was, pretty and, much. I mean, still, I, I have to limit my Tony Rice intake at this point. You right. Because yeah. I just love it so much that I get into that mode pretty easily. So if you had to boil down, like... I totally understand the whole thing of like getting so deep into something where you like know the whole record. Yeah. And you know, that has a big impact on you as a musician, but being removed from that now by however many years, if you had to kind of maybe give me a couple examples of some of the things that have stuck with you the most about Tony's playing, like what made him cool that you think has like really influenced your playing? Yeah. I mean, he just kind of had this, this sort of a swing when he played. And it was very like his rhythm. I think subconsciously yeah. was was kind of the thing that hooked me, because I mean that's why I wanted to play guitar was hearing Charlie Waller and Jimmy Martin, you know. Yeah. And so, I think, I mean, he's the greatest. Tony is the best rhythm guitar player, you know, for my money mm-hmm. that a bluegrass has ever seen, you know. And and so, are there some hallmarks of his rhythm playing that 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 stick out to you? I think that you know, like. Uh, Blue Railroad Train on Manzanita is just, yeah. like, even every fill on there is just perfect. And, well, once I got into that record, I just remember ordering a lot of stuff, from a lot of Tony's records from county sales, you know, uh-huh. like having to ship ship off your list, you know, with a yeah. with a check. And I remember having to bug my dad to, here, I want, the, you know, or for Christmas, that would be my entire list was like, here, I want these Bluegrass Album Band records yeah. and, you know, and so that point I think I had just about everything Tony yeah. had done and um and so there's a lot of well like the cold on the shoulder record I don't know that one it's a great record it? man. it's amazing yeah. um yeah Tony and Bela Fleck and okay. Sam Bush and yeah. Vassar's on all of it and but there's some real hallmarks of rhythm and then his singing you know it's like yeah. he was just singing so great and uh so I was really into those two records quite a bit okay um and then that Church Street Blues album yeah. was just amazing. Yeah. Solo guitar. Yeah, it's yeah. like if you can't if you can't pick up some stuff from that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you might as well hang it up. Uh-huh. And, uh, what stuck with you the most? Can you play something that's like... Uh, yeah, man. I mean, I loved probably on that uh, the Church Street Blues record is the... Just hearing uh, Tony and Wyatt play together, because Wyatt's playing. Oh, Wyatt's on that, right? Yeah, okay. He's playing on on half of that Uh record, I think. And then, of course, Gold Rush, and that's kind of the pinnacle of (laughs) flat picking. Flat picking. Uh, And then the oh, what's that? There's a Doc Watson song on there that's amazing. Uh, House Carpenter. Oh yeah, I love love that Tony version of. Um, That is a great version of that song. I mean, everything all there, you know the. So, like, as as you were learning and, like, your style was developing, with your right hand, what what are some of the th- things that, like, I feel like it comes across as being technique-wise. I'm not saying what you're, what you're doing is simple or easy, but, like, you know, a lot of it is, like, up and down. Yeah. Picking. There's, you know, um, 
But there's a way that you and other top-notch flat pickers project from coming out of your right hand that I don't know how the hell you guys do it, but like <laughs> what, what, what are some of the hallmarks of your right hand? Oh, man, I, I always joke that you know, people say I play loud. And it's like, well, it's too many years of, of playing a jam session trying to be louder than a banjo. <laughs> I mean, really, that's it. You know, it's like really? when yeah. I... Just like keeping up with the yeah, other I loved, Yeah, I love going to jam sessions. And I think that helped me more than anything. Because uh-huh. it's like you can sit at home and practice yeah. this stuff, but until you utilize it in the real world, right. yeah. you know, you just, you just never know what works and what doesn't work. And uh, you use heavy heavy picks. I do. I'm actually. I brought. I've got a couple that I'm trying out now, and Uh it's not much different. But I use blue chips, and I always use this triangle shape. I mean, some people use them that they have like the rounded corners on. Yeah. And actually, I'm not opposed to that in the studio. I like to have the rounded corner. But I'm trying a 55, and a. a, But my normal pick's a 60, which is a. um, Like it's pretty hefty. Yeah, it's like a hefty. And so is the volume that you get. You know, I've noticed like. I, I sat beside Brian Sutton at a, at a jam, and I was just like, holy shit, it's so, like, <laughs> yeah. there's so much volume coming out of, of his guitar, and exactly the same thing with yours. Like, there's, there's, there's a lot of volume, and so is that just, like, a force thing that you've yeah, developed? Yeah, it's, it's weird. I mean, it's, I don't feel like I'm, I, like, I had to really make it a conscious decision to not play hard a right. couple years ago because I was kind of developing some arm issues I oh, mean yeah? you know the first couple years that Rob and I played we did you know like 120 dates a year you know yeah. and just a duo yeah. you know it's it was a lot of just a lot of work and I felt like I you know was kind of doing some damage to my arms just playing so hard for that many nights a year and so I think a lot of it is kind of I don't know it's it seems like the the combination of the pick the action, the way the action set up, you yeah. know, I always like to have a little bit of higher, higher action, you know, thirteen <clears throat> gauge strings, um, and then the guitar makes a big difference. Too. Yeah, you had dreadnought, and um, but yeah, I always, always love getting in front of Brian's guitar because it doesn't matter. He could be playing like the, the tiniest little small body guitar, and yeah. it's still loud as hell, you know. <laughs> and so, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know what the I think a lot of it is, you know, this uh, the right hand uh-huh. force uh, combined with with a rock for a pick. Right. Oh, yeah, interesting. Uh, yeah. And then I, you know, a lot of people still kind of use tortoise shell picks that play uh, bluegrass. I know Tony, when he was still playing, you still use tortoise shell. But these blue chips are pretty amazing. Um, that's all I've used since they came out. You know. Um, and so when you were getting all this stuff down, were you practicing? For hours and hours a day, is that was that? Yeah, your... I mean, it seemed like there would be days where I would, I would only pick it up. I mean, it was kind of like at least an hour yeah. a day that I would. But then there were some days that I would play for three or four, yeah. you know. Um, but kind of bare minimum an hour, and it was never, you know, I was never kind of forced to play right. for that long. Yeah. But I'd always just grown up hearing my dad, you know, talk about, you know, you gotta even like baseball, just practicing an hour a day, you know, yeah. just commit to something an hour a day. And it's like, well, if I'm going to get better at playing guitar, which I really wanted to, I just always had the desire to, you know, keep keep learning. And I hated when I'd get stuck in ruts. And yeah. so it seemed like when I would do that was when I would practice more and try to get out of that. and uh, Or just kind of like I remember how I felt when I first heard Manzanita. And so I would, I've chased that really? since then, you know. It's like yeah. that, I just... You know, I've, I've spent 
most of my time and my money and energy, you know, going into record stores and finding new stuff. And, yeah. you know, like Tony, I went to see him. I guess the first time I saw him was at the down home in Johnson City, which is kind of where I, close to where I grew up. Uh-huh. And a little little club out there, but Tony played there a bunch. And and he kicked it off with this song called Big Country, which is a Jimmy Martin instrumental. And then he went right into my favorite things. Okay. And did like this 14-minute version. Of yeah. that, you know. And then he said... Something about that being a John Coltrane song. I was like, oh, okay, well, I got to remember that name. And so that, I, w- I went to, you know, this, I think Best Buy or like Circuit City or something the next day and looked for something that had John Coltrane on it. And all they did had you, was. Did you realize who John Coltrane was? I had you had no, no idea. I had no idea. Yeah. And didn't know what he played, didn't know anything about him. You thought he was a bluegrass guitar yeah, player? Yeah, like, oh, God, this guy, I haven't heard of this guy. I wonder if he played with Jimmy Martin any. <laughs> so. Like, so I go to the, you know, Circuit City. I'm like, you have anything by John Coltrane? And, yeah, of course, they have no idea. Mm -hmm. And so I was just looking around, and they had, like, they just put out that kind of blue, like the anniversary edition or whatever. And they had a couple things. And it's got all the players listed on the front. It's like, oh, there there he is. And so I bought it. And I just remember the first time I listened, like, oh, this sucks. This doesn't have any guitar on it at all. <laughs> I was like, there's, there's no guitar on this. The more, I think I, I just kind of put it away. And then a couple years later, I was like, oh, I think I was getting ready to sell a bunch of stuff, you know, like sell, sell a bunch of records. Uh-huh. I need to listen to this again. And just kind of became obsessed with that. Oh, okay. And it just like totally hit. Yep. And uh, Th- that requires like, you have to be in a certain place. Yeah. In your, and you have to, in yeah. Your development and your, at that point, it was all bluegrass all right. the time. And even hearing Tony play it, you know, yeah. hearing my favorite things was totally different than hearing a horn. Yeah, you know, it was not uh, not the same thing at all. And then, I, you know, I've, I've been kind of way into jazz stuff. And, and it's just like I keep looking for the next thing that's just going to... So what are some other ones kind of blue sticks out to you, but are there other things that are not bluegrass that were like real hallmarks for you? Yeah, I mean, I've got a bunch. I know there was... Uh, uh, Grant Green, that gospel record oh, yeah. uh, that I love, and then of course you know Buck Owens. There was the uh-huh. live at Carnegie Hall and Ray Charles, the country country western. I bought that that whole box set just because. I mean, I think I've bought two copies of that where it's like everything <laughs> that he recorded in that era, uh-huh. just because it's so amazing. And I wore out some of the the CDs in that, and and then I mean I'm just way into everything. I mean, hell, I remember when I got you know. Slayer, South of Heaven, <laughs> it's like that. I got obsessed with that, you yeah, know. Yeah. And uh, was was metal guitar like? Did you ever get super obsessed with that kind of I, stuff? I'm, I, I love it. Yeah, and it always joke because it just totally like thrash metal in particular just yeah. always made sense to me because it sounds like Gold Rush or something. It's right, like, totally. it just totally makes sense. You yeah. Know? Um, but who are the who are the the guitarists in that world that that you dug? Oh man, I love the I can't think of his name right now. The the guitar player in uh, Megadeth. Oh yeah, Dave so, Mustaine. Well, Dave Mustaine, but the the, the, the uh, lead guy. The yeah, the guy. lead guy. I can't yeah. think of his name, but Dave know. Mustaine's amazing. I love yeah. his riffs and like that. Uh, yeah, the, all the early Metallica bootleg stuff that, that mm-hmm. Dave Mustaine played on is amazing. Um, and then, of course, you know, like I, I got into Metallica in high school, and yeah. me and my wife, I, I dragged my wife to see Metallica in Nashville last year, which is a huge mistake. Really? Because, I mean, normally she's, like, I've taken her to two concerts that she's just been like, I'm not going to you. I'm not going to concerts with you ever again. <laughs> One of them was we risked our lives to go see Government Mule and John Schofield a couple years ago. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And... Uh, 
like came this horrible ice storm all oh, over shit. Nashville. Yeah, and uh, I, I mean, they had not canceled. They were they were they, there. They'd already came to town to do. Uh, I think they played at Grimey's. Did like a, a little in store thing at Grimey's. Really? So they were already in Nashville, and it's like, oh, we're not going to cancel. And it's like, okay, well, we got to go. And so our, we totally like drove 25 miles an hour on the oh, interstate shit. to get to the Ryman. And uh, and she was, I mean, of course, you know, it's like just going to be a guitar solo. Yeah. After, and I remember the first it. song that, that Schofield came out on was just a just an instrumental. And yeah. I, I remember looking at my clock at one point and I was like, oh, man, this has been going on for about 20, 20 some minutes. <laughs> And she was just kind of sitting there, you know. And then the next one was Metallica. She hated Metallica even more than really? that. Really? Like, at one point, she said, I was going to go stand out in the hallway for a little bit. <laughs> like, okay, fine. Was that a Bridgestone or something? Yeah, it was yeah. a Bridgestone. And oh, my God. So, yeah, I mean, I got way into that stuff. In, in high, and then I think, you know, my first kind of rock and roll stuff that I remember buying, and my parents were so adamant about me never listening to anything that wasn't bluegrass or country. Really? And my dad even specifically more was like, you know, don't waste your time listening to anything else, you know. Really? And I mean, he had a point, you know, it's like, well, just focus on something. Yeah. And uh, Well, that's interesting that he was like, focus on just guitar, like don't play yeah. baseball anymore. And yeah, then, like, I mean, he was very, bluegrass. I think he just, I don't know if he had this <clears throat> this intuition that it was, you know, gonna gonna work out better for me to do that. Well, you probably needed uh, that, right? You needed yeah, that. and I think he had played softball, you know, and, and and I just remember being a kid and him complaining all the time about <laughs> stuff hurt. Yeah, it's like his back hurts and his <laughs> legs hurt, and it's like okay, well, I think he was just like you know, the chances of you making it in major league baseball yeah. are probably going to be very slim, you know. Uh-huh. So uh, once you focus your time on something that you're gonna. And I'm so glad that you know, that happened, and I was all for it too, because I was kind of done with you know playing baseball. And, but yeah, he was he was just way into bluegrass, mm-hmm. and so I think it just seemed really foreign. And now it's funny because the last time we were at visiting my parents, I was they've got you know the DVR thing now where they can record stuff, and my dad had recorded some Jimi Hendrix thing. Really, I was like, hey, dad, what, what's this about? <laughs> We've gone full circle. It's a bluegrass album. Yeah, I was like, oh. Huh, it's, it's, <laughs> Yeah, he played with Jimmy Martin, too. (laughs) Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, but I remember the first thing I bought was a Van Halen yeah. CD, you know, and I remember it was in the wintertime. And when I so bought where, it. So like, how were you hearing that stuff? Just on the radio or whatever? A friend of mine in high school. Okay. He, uh. He was, I think I was listening to something, just had my headphones in one day. I was, 
uh, I remember it was like in an AutoCAD class, and he came up and he said, because uh, I, I used to bring my guitar and jam occasionally with this this group of kids, like after school, you know, but in high school, and, and it was like this horrible, no, nobody could really play, but right. it was just fun, you know, yeah, yeah. we were just goofing off, and, and so this guy knew I played guitar, and he's like, you got to hear this, and it was uh, Eruption, and uh, right. uh you and you'd really never heard me. you'd never heard that stuff. I'd never heard it. Wow. Anything like it, you know. It's like, oh my God, who is that? Yeah. And he's like, that's it. It's Eddie Van Halen, man. You gotta <laughs> you gotta get into him. And so I went and bought, yeah, I think it's called the best of both worlds, like this uh double C D uh-huh. thing. And it was in the wintertime and I had this big heavy coat on. And so I, I did buy it. I didn't steal it, but I bought it and I put it in my coat pocket so my parents wouldn't see it. Really? <laughs> and uh and then I was hooked on that and then so I used to go into this record store in Johnson City called Cat's Music. It was I think it might have been a chain or just like a small chain or something. But the guy that worked there was amazing. I mean, he just knew that I would be in there like almost every day. And he would just save back stuff. And oh, okay. he would just be like, here's some stuff I think you'll, you'd really dig. And so he saved, one of the times, one of the records he saved back was uh, the Allison Krauss from Robert Plant record. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I love Allison. It's like I don't have a clue who Robert Plant is, but yeah. Really? And he said, uh, "Oh, you don't, you don't know who Robert Plant is?" It's like, no. And he's here. I want to give you this. And he gave me uh, like a greatest hits of Led Zeppelin or something. You'd never heard. Like, I never Zeppelin. heard Led Zeppelin wow. before. And uh, God, I got obsessed with it. And it's funny because we just played hardly strictly bluegrass yeah. about well back in October, and we played with Buddy Miller yeah. out there. Got this email a couple of days before because I mean they after that like I bought all these Led Zeppelin T-shirts and it's like <laughs> I was just freaking obsessed with Led Zeppelin and uh, and we got this email a couple of days before that's like hey I think Robert Plant's gonna sit in on a couple songs with oh, us man. it's like oh shit this mm-hmm. is gonna be cool and and unfortunately we didn't get to play any with Robert but I got to hang out with him for like twenty minutes and I just while I was standing there it's like. I just need to shut up because there's nothing else I could say to Robert Plant <laughs> that's not going to come across as being just dorky, me being a total dork, you know. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, he that that guy at Cats was just super cool about that because he kind of knew, like, okay, well, I'll I'll go ahead and order all the JD Crow stuff. Yeah, but you should probably check out Johnny Winter too, you right? Know? And uh, and so he turned me on to a lot of great stuff. Oh, cool. And so, it's good to have somebody like that too. Like, yeah, so. and I think he kind of got the vibe that I was just always kind of searching for yeah. something yeah. that it was always the the test was you know if if it was all I could think about at school right like you know if if it was to the point where I'd have to bring my iPod sneak it in and listen to it during class then that was that was a sign that was a sign that, <laughs> that was my new thing so in high school were you did you have a uh, uh, a band that was pretty serious then? Yeah, I did. I mean, uh, and were we, you starting to take it seriously? Like as, I was, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, and actually, yeah, my, my principal was super cool because I missed, I mean, it got to the point where the school board like called my parents and said yeah. I wasn't going to be able to graduate. Oh, you know? shit. Yeah. And, uh, cause it, it like, nobody had mentioned it for years cause my principal was just absolutely, totally cool with it and just totally believed in it. And, and uh, and then he just kind of swept it under the rug, you know. Really? And so I, I totally, you know, <laughs> you snuck probably through. should not have <laughs> yeah. graduated high school. But, I mean, I got all my classes in. And, I, actually, I mean, I, I spent a lot of time studying and doing everything. Yeah. And, you know, I had a, even when I graduated, I had a bunch of my college classes kind of already done. 
Did you go to college I after did. high school? <laughs> I was just like, I'm, I'm going to play. Yeah. You know? and, and, uh, so what happened after high school? Did you, is that when you moved to Nashville? So no, I moved to Nashville probably five years after that. Okay. But I was just kind of doing stuff around and I was doing a lot of, you know, electric stuff and I was some session work. Did you like doing sessions? I did. Yeah, I still do. I love right. it. And yeah. it's funny, man. I do more electric guitar sessions in Nashville than I do acoustic, which is weird. I mean, I've done a, a good handful of acoustics. Have you done much playing on like big country no, stuff I mean, at all? A handful of like, you know, top 40 country songs that yeah. that I've like what, played. Which ones? Well, so you... I just played on this, uh, this band, um, High Valley. Okay. And it was a song that got into like the, you know, top. 20 oh, maybe cool. even top 10 um that they did a bluegrass version of that that okay got back in the charts too uh so i played on a lot of that stuff yeah. or that that stuff and then uh that's really kind of i mean i've played on some you know like stuff that i didn't even know what was that ended up getting yeah you know but you've never pursued stuff. like being a session guy i haven't i mean it's thing. i would love to be more of that, you know, and then yeah. I get a lot of calls for to do stuff, you know, kind of at home. Yeah, and I don't really have anything to do that at this right, point, which right. I'll probably end up, you know, getting that. But um, and I, it seems like I work a lot at, at Compass Studios, which is you okay. know, the record label that we're on. So yeah. usually, if they need anything outside of yeah. the bands that they're having in there, you know, they'll give me a call. And, um, but yeah, I've, I mean, Rob does, you know, probably six times the sessions yeah, that I do, and he plays on everything from yeah. yeah I, he was just playing on you know some huge stuff here recently and he's he's on i don't know how but something popped up in facebook the other day of uh david lee roth doing a bluegrass version of jump and there there was rob he's he's playing with david lee roth it looked really uncomfortable yes i would imagine so he he, so i asked him about that because you know i I love van halen and yeah and uh yeah he was he said David Lee Roth was like super the, the coolest dude ever, you know, really? and, and just but yeah, super high energy, yeah, and, and uh, yeah, he's the band was ripping, yeah, like they're killer. Scott Vestal, and yeah, it's like yeah. a great, great freaking band killing, yeah. <laughs> killing some, some David Lee Roth. Tell me about the the whole like hooking up with Rob. Like, um, you met him when you were a kid, but then yeah. did you go years and years without seeing him again? Well, so I saw him every once in a while because. You know, he, uh, the band he was playing in, Blue Highway, yeah. were out kind of East Tennessee guys, all except for Rob. Where's Rob from? He's a He's California from California, guy. but yeah. he lives in, in Franklin. Um, uh, he's been there. He said, I think he moved there in 92. So oh, he's wow, okay, been, yeah. been here a while. So all those Blue Highway guys were from kind of where I'm from. Did you know some of them? And so I knew, like, Tim Stafford, the guitar player. Oh, okay, um, yeah. Yeah, I've been, been friends with Tim for a long time. And, yeah. And, um, and so occasionally... When they would play out there, you know, I would be kind of opening the show or whatever. Yeah. And so I did a lot of that, that I would, or there was a lot of crossover where I would see those guys or just coming to their shows. I've, you know, always right. loved that band. I guess the next time that I saw him for, you know, more than just a few minutes was <clears throat> uh, back when Blue Highway were doing uh, their record called The Game. So I, I knew the guy that owned the studio where, where they were recording that at. And uh, there was one song that they were going to send to, you know, some, I don't, I don't even know who it was. They were going to send it to some established bluegrass artist to sing the mm-hmm. vocal on. And so they needed somebody to do a scratch vocal. So I knew the guy that owns the studio and he said, well, Trey Hensley, you know, come in and, and knock it out while y'all are, you know, playing and he can do the scratch vocal for you. And, and so they called me to come do that. And, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it went really well. 
and I didn't think very much more of it. And like probably two weeks go by, and, and I get a call from the guy that owns the studio, and he said, "Hey, I think they're going to keep your vocal oh, really? on that song. It's like yeah. they're they're just going to leave it on there." And uh, I was like, "Oh, that's cool." And he said, "And by the way, I think Rob Ike's just wanting your number. You know, he's just wanting to call and, and talk yeah. to you about some stuff." And and I guess the guy that owns the studio was actually playing some uh, bass in my band at that time, and so he was showing Rob all these videos of us playing these shows. You know, I think they stayed up late oh, yeah. just watching YouTube stuff, and it somehow came up and so at that point all robin ever seen was me playing electric guitar okay and so he said well you know i really love your music and if there's anything i can ever do you know give me a shout and i said well you know me and my wife have kind of toyed with the idea of moving to nashville for a couple years and and so you definitely should you know you should definitely move to nashville and and uh and he you know was very honest about you know how how rough everything is, you know, as far as traveling and, you know, it's very grueling and, and, um, but he's, uh, you know, I definitely think that you, you could do it and, and, uh, I definitely think you should be here in Nashville and, you know, and give me a call up when you come to town and, and we'll, you know, do some shows or something. We'll get together and pick and, um, uh, it's like, okay, great. And so my wife, just started applying for jobs in Nashville, and, and okay. the first job she applied for, she got an interview, went in, nailed the interview, and, and got the job. And so at that point, it's like we went from thinking about it until being like, well, in two weeks, we've, we've oh, got to be there, you yeah, know. Yeah. And so we ended up just kind of panicking. We <laughs> drove here and looked for places, you know, for, and then, of course, we were just doing like, What year was know, this? So this was 2013, I guess. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, not not super long ago, I guess, yeah. but... Um, and at that point I was still making a lot of trips here, you know, it's like I was here quite a bit. And so it made sense to... At that point, I guess you were getting pretty known around, around town probably, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, done some stuff with, uh, with some country, with my country band kind of, you know, around town and, yeah. um, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely made sense and, uh, and then I'd been on you know, just a couple of sessions that I would have to drive to Nashville for. And it was not, it was like three and a half, four hours, but still that's, yeah, it's a, that's a haul. It's enough. You know? Yeah. And so, but we would, you know, just look up places online and then come to Nashville and look at them and it would just be total opposite of what really? they were on the computers. <laughs> like, Oh, there's a guy getting shot right there. <laughs> and so, you know, it's like we, we finally settled on just being in Lebanon and we were there for like a year and then we moved. And then so when I moved to Nashville, he like I say he didn't know that I played acoustic guitar at all. He didn't. And uh, I mean he probably had So did they, Blue Highway keep your vocal on the, They did. They kept what, it on the song game. Is that? So it's a song called My Last Day in the Mine. So yeah, that's the scratch vocal. I was Crazy. standing right behind the engineer. Yeah. You know, and they they didn't change a thing and um and so I guess Rob he knew that I played acoustic guitar, but I don't even think he recognized me from the Earl Scruggs stuff. Or I mean, yeah, cuz well, you was were probably 13, you right, know, and yeah. then then I was 23, you know. Yeah. He invited me to a jam session at his, at his house. He said, uh, you know, come out and, and uh, you know, I don't know how into bluegrass yards and, you know, come play in this jam session. And I get there and it's like Brian Sutton yeah. and, you know, like all these people that, that Robin invited over. And, and, um, and so after that jam session, he gave me a call and said, yeah, I'd, I'd love to start maybe booking some station in stuff. And, uh-huh. And uh, it's like I, I'm thinking about doing a, a solo record, but I'd kind of rather do a duo record, you know, uh-huh. if you want to if you want to do that. And so I mean, we literally went in. You know, I think I moved to town in August, and we started working on that before the sun goes down record, like on November first. 
Yeah, I mean, it's right Had away. Had you done gigs at that point? One. One gig. We did one gig at Station Inn. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm surprised that he had that much faith, you know, that <laughs> it's like I, just, I could have been a total, you know, flop in the studio or something, but it, it well, you know, he's, it, he's no dummy. And so it, we, but the first day, you know, he, but he kind of talked to me and he said, you know, I like to do studio, or I like to do uh, records totally live, you know, it's like, oh, great, that's the way I've, you know, been working too. And, yeah. And uh, so we did that first record, everything. Where well, to, re- to record it? Uh, so we did half of it at um, First Avenue Sound or something in Franklin. Uh-huh. Okay. That's shut down now. And then we did the other half at Brent Truitt's studio. Okay. And uh, were, you, Nashville. were you pretty comfortable in the studio at that point? Yeah. The first day, I guess, was the Brent Truitt studio. So it was very, you know, it was more laid back. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, literally everybody was just sitting around in a circle. And we, So it's you two and is, like, so, Mike Bubb on that? Yeah, us two. And then Andy Lefwich and uh, Mike Bubb. Yeah. And John Gardner played drums. Okay. And so they had John kind of baffled off, but not really. I mean, he yeah. plays really light. And so, yeah, no headphones at all, no charts, yeah. no... Yeah. Tell me about how you guys built up your repertoire at that point. Like, were you bringing tunes in or... We, me and Rob would get together, yeah. like, pretty often, a couple times a week, yeah. you know. And uh, it seemed like, yeah, our list of songs... And I, I'd written a couple songs that are on that first record. Actually, I had a bunch of songs at that point, but I just... I wasn't very confident in my songwriting at all. And it was actually my wife that would be like, hey, you need to start doing some of these songs because, you know, it's like, I really like them and, yeah. you know, just try them out. That's a good gauge. If, yeah, it's like, see if, <laughs> see if, yeah, exactly. It's like, if you, you're going to be honest with me. So if you like them, you know, uh, they might be okay. And so I would just, you know, go to these. And so it was Bub, I think, that got it, the ball rolling. Uh-huh. We were getting together practicing, you know, one time, maybe for the Station Inn gig. And, uh, and I'd, didn't really know Bub at all yet, and he said, "Hey, do you write anything?" And so I played a couple songs that I'd written, and and yeah, they ended up being on the record, and uh-huh. um, and so yeah, that but that the other stuff on there was kind of obscure. Like there were some obscure Hag songs that Rob and I, I, both of our favorite artists, you know, is, is Merle, and so we all know every Merle Haggard song. Really? So it was like every. Every time one of us would throw something, just like some there's Haggard no song. way you're gonna know this Merle Haggard song. And, oh yeah, let's let's do that one for sure. Were you, so were you and, doing a lot of Merle Haggard in your country band? Oh yeah, you were. Yeah. Okay. I mean, he's he was kind of my he, he's he has the been my favorite since for, I yeah. It was kind of one of those things that I stumbled upon too. That I mean, the guy that I was talking about earlier that owned that studio out in East Tennessee was like preaching the gospel of Merle Haggard for uh-huh. forever. Yeah. And my parents just didn't have much Merle, and my, my granddad didn't either. He, you know, he didn't have any Merle Haggard records. But my, I found this cassette tape, and it, I don't even know what it was, like a Merle Haggard Greatest Hits. But, God, it was amazing. And I just wore yeah. it out, you know. And, yeah. and then that guy that in the studio gave me um, that box set down every road. Yeah. It's like 100 tracks. Yeah, I've got that. just amazing. And, All eras, uh, too. Yeah, it's like the best. That's the best, most comprehensive box set I think I've ever got the cool thing about it is like really hearing him go through the eras of country and like kind of adapting but like just kicking ass in all exactly yeah you you can hear decades just totally get i mean it was very organic but you can just totally hear it where he just didn't give shit it's like this is what i do i mean bob all that bob will stuff you know the western swing and uh just you know it's just totally cool it was very cool and the jimmy rogers stuff you know and not that i don't love you know ray price and all that stuff but it seemed like all that, you know, when it when it got the Nashville sound, 
you know, everybody was kind of chasing that. Yep. And in the same era, you've got Merle Haggard doing yeah. Bob Wills records. Yeah, yeah, amazing. That's that's pretty impressive. And I love that. Yeah, you know, there's some quote of him a couple years ago that that said that he wasn't a country artist; he was a, a world music artist. Nice. And I was like, that's yeah, that's, that's cool. cool. You that's know, a good way to look at it. Uh, so are there are there Merle Haggard tunes on that first record? Yeah, there are. Um, what did he we did do? one called "I'd Rather Be Gone." Yeah, that was off of uh, uh, "Root to My Raisin," which is a great record. And then I think Hank Jr. had a, a fairly decent hit, like back in his you know er, super early days with "I'd Rather Be Gone." And uh, and a working man can't get nowhere today. We did that one. Oh right. It was really cool, you know, because. Uh, Rob had worked with Merle in the studio on like oh, four CDs. Oh, okay. And so he just had this idea to get Merle to write the liner notes. And it was just totally a long shot. Yeah. But, so he sends Merle a, a copy of the CD. And I just remember, yeah, like I said, he's he's just been my favorite since I got those records. And, and uh, I remember this email coming in. It was late at night, and it was from Hag. Yeah, Shit. just like... You know, Shit, man! This is as it was. It was everything that's on the. It's on the back of our record, yeah. Amazing, but it's like this amazing little quote from Merle. Wow. Yeah. So is he your biggest vocal influence? Would yeah, you say? like I for definitely sure. hear I mean, some of that. I mean, you got and your even own guitar thing going play. On, but... I mean, that stuff that Roy Nichols played on his record. Yeah. You know, for me is it's perfect. It really changed my playing a lot. Really, it got me out of the Tony Rice stuff, and, okay. and I definitely. You know, so what was it about? More. What was it about that? This more of a. He was so cool, man. Because now that I. I'm, into more jazz, it's you could tell he was listening to a lot of Charlie Parker, and there was a lot of just totally nobody was doing that. I mean, yeah. nobody sounded like Roy Nichols. I kind of feel that way about Don Rich, but I mean, he, Don Rich was country. You know, it's like yeah. you you can't hear that tone and those notes and not think that's country music. Of course, know? but yeah. the way Roy Nichols was playing was just totally different. Uh-huh. You know, it was like out of the box. Well, I mean, I've even heard that the you know the. Uh, was a mistake. Yeah, like he did it in the really? studio and, and was going to change it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if he did. I think the first time he did it was on Branded Man, you uh-huh. know, which is, it, it is different, you know, because it's very, it's just kind of out of the blue, you yeah. know, but it's so cool. And just like the intro to uh, um, All My Friends Are Going to Be Strangers, that's very, just sounds like Charlie Parker, but on electric guitar. And so it just totally changed the way I thought about playing, you know. Wow, interesting. Listening to him. And, yeah. And especially when I pick up an electric guitar. It's the way I was about Tony Rice is kind of the way I am about Roy. Really? And it's like I have, okay. to, I have to not think like that or I'm just going to play all, all the all, Roy Nichols all licks you can. St- yeah, it's like every Roy Nichols lick that I can play. Yeah, it seems. And then I always laugh that when I get like in a, if I can't hear myself on stage or if there's a song that gets kicked off too fast, I just immediately go into Tony Rice mode. It's like a nervous <laughs> tick or something. It's like Transformer or something. Yeah. That, so you guys made that record like in a couple days? Yeah. I mean, I think two days. Two days. So yeah. we did uh, one day at Brent Truitt's where we, we cut eight songs. Yeah. And then the next day we did all the electric stuff. And then how soon after that did you guys start playing all the time? Um, so we did a bunch of shows. Like Did it kind we, of take off immediately? It, or? Yeah, I mean, we started booking stuff when Blue Highway wasn't playing. And uh, and then kind of the Grammy nomination came along for that first record. Right. And we had been talking about, like, you know, just really doing more stuff. And, and I think Rob was, you know, he was looking for something kind of different. And, yep. and we played all kinds of different stuff. And even, you know, he was looking to play more lap steel at the time. Okay. And so we did 
you know, like when we do the station in, we do half electric, half yep. acoustic, and then on our records, there's a lot of electric stuff, and and so we just kind of wanted to make it a full time thing, and yep. and yeah, that first year, man, we went to, I think we went to Europe four times and Australia, okay, and just right out of the gate, just kind of hitting it hard, yeah, you know, like yep. 100, 120 some days, and amazing, um, and then I just, me and my wife had just had our our daughter and so the next year we we scaled it down a little bit and yeah trying to find the happy medium of this is too many days versus this is not enough days you know so how long was it uh, between records so the first two were pretty soon i mean okay. like we we had just gotten that uh record out like in january and then we started working on the country blues yep. in july and um and of course there's and that a, came out in what 2016 that came out something? in yeah 2016 okay so yeah there's definitely a big kind of a jump musically in those two records yeah it so just we, seemed like you know the first things that we got into was like this merle haggard stuff and bluegrass yeah. stuff yeah and then it just got a little you know a little deeper into the you know we were just listening to all kinds of different stuff on the road and yeah and um and there's a fair chunk of instrumental stuff on that record yeah too, exactly right? there's yeah. uh yeah, I think there's two on each record or okay. something like that. Yeah. So when you do instrumentals together, what's your process of like orchestrating the like do you do a complete composition from beginning to end and then take yeah. it to Rob or how do you I mean, guys... so Rob normally kind of handles I mean, he writes more instrumental stuff than, he does. than okay, I yeah. do. Yeah. Um I've written some instrumental stuff, but uh seems like when we I don't know it's, <laughs> Just, and I can't write out music either. Yeah. So it seems like if I don't record it, and then even if I record it when I listen back to it, it's like, I, I can't remember how I played that. Just forget <laughs> it. <laughs> if it's not good enough for me to remember how to play it, then yeah. it's not. No, there's goes. something to be said for that. I and yeah. so uh, and so Rob had, Rob does a lot of that. You know, he writes a lot of the instrumental yeah. stuff. So the first two, like the first record we did, uh, Raising the Dickens, which yeah. is an old Buddy Emmons song yeah. that Rob plays on lap steel. And we'd been doing that at Station Inn. And then... Uh, the second one had a song called Biscuits and Gravy, which yeah. was a song that Rob had written. That one we really did in the studio. Yeah, and there's Like you hadn't played it before. We hadn't really played it very much. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a, a blues thing, but it's got some weird stuff where it yeah. goes into kind of like a reggae thing at the end right. and, uh, of each of each uh, pattern. and um, So it does some different stuff. But yeah, I mean, we, we only did it a handful of times. and It's kind of that way with everything on, on that record, for sure. Like we would just do every song like four times yeah. and then move on to the next song. And then normally what we do is not even listen to it for like a month. Oh, really? And then okay. go back in. Yeah. Just because when I, I mean, especially like my guitar playing, yeah. I'll just analyze You'll every note because I remember how it felt and I was right. like, okay, well, I hear that. But then a month later, it's like, oh, I can't. Yeah. It just goes by. That's an interesting way to do it, actually. And yeah, uh, yeah I mean, because if I'm there, I'll just nitpick it. I think right. I'm better about it now. But if I'm overdubbing something, like especially if I've got unlimited time, uh-huh. like if I'm out, you know, in, in East Tennessee at my buddy's studio, that you know, it's like it's not costing anybody anything for me to do, do a that. solo eight hundred times. Yes, yeah, just pick <laughs> apart every note, you know. But I really like the spontaneity of yeah, you know, man. Just doing yeah. doing stuff, and then you kind of get out of your box a little more, right? And stop thinking about everything, yeah. and and so for this new record, we did everything basically the same. World full of blues. Yeah, world yeah. full of blues. Uh, but we had a producer on this one, which so we hadn't had. Who was that? Uh, Brent Mayer. Okay. And how did that come about? Um, so we knew we wanted a producer yeah. for this one just because we had all this material that we'd been writing and kind of cultivating that we had a list of probably 30 songs. I feel like some of the 
some of the last two records were just kind of scattered. You know, it's like we were, you could tell we were into a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And not that it's a, it was a bad thing, but it just wasn't as maybe focused. And so um, we really wanted somebody to, you know, get in and, and help us kind of focus on these are 11 or 12 tracks that are going to sound the best together. And so it just so happened that our manager is good buddies with Brent. Okay. And so we had worked out at Brent's studio for that Jason Eady record. And uh, and met him out there during that. But he wasn't producing then. He was, we were just working at the studio. But we loved that studio. And and um, and so our manager talked to Brent, and he was all about it. And, and so we met with him and did all the pre-production stuff where we played all 30 of those songs. Really? You know? Yeah. And he just... He loved it, and he wanted to put that out as the record. Really? Because yeah, we recorded all those tracks, and he just really wanted us to do kind of a duo record. And but the more we talked about it, the more that it became a bigger production thing sure. where we were going to have... I mean, it's, everything on there is still totally live, um, except for the horns. We did, we had to overdub them. And did, um, you, did you guys arrange the horns, or did you bring somebody no, to do we that? Brought, uh, we brought... Was it like Jim Hoke or somebody Jim like Hoke. that? We brought okay. Jim Hoke. Wow, plucked yeah. that one out of the air. <laughs> yes, that, that. So we brought Jim in. Yeah, and uh, who's a genius? Yeah, man. just like everything he was saying was just, uh, just yeah, it was perfect. It was like he would hear the song one time. Yeah, and the next time through would just tell exactly what it needed. And but when we talked about it, all this stuff at the pre-production, you know, it was so we came back the next day, and, and Brent basically said, "Here are the eleven songs that." That oh, should cool. be on this record, and so we and he even gave them in the order they are on the record. Like he he had listened to it and had it just totally figured out, and so you know we went through and he's like, okay, well, Born with the Blues, this whole record should have B three on it, and so that was different for us. And, yeah. and who like, played who played the organ? Uh, so John Jorgensen played on half of it, and like John Jorgensen. John Jorgensen. He, he's the organ player on the he's record. The organ player oh on my the God. record. I didn't even know he played keyboards. Well, that guy's a. Crazy. He, uh, oh my god! Of course, he's you know one of my favorite guitar yeah, players ever. Like, yeah, electric guitar player. Just like I've sat and listened to to Desert Rose Band. I remember trying to learn that break from Hello, uh, yeah, Hello. How was the Hello Trouble? That's it. Okay, it's like the best electric guitar <laughs> solo ever. And so it was really freaking intimidating sitting no, like directly because he was everybody. How did he end up being the organ player? So we were talking about who was going to play organ on the record. Yeah. And and again, our manager also manages John. Okay. And he said, uh, how about John? And it's like, does John play B3 organ? <laughs> and he said, yeah, of course he does. Course and it's like, does. Do you, are you sure that he plays B3 organ? <laughs> yeah. And he said, yeah, yeah, I'm positive. And it's like, okay, well, you know, sure. I'm sure he's great at it. But we had never heard him play B3 yeah. at all until the first day that he came in. It is totally, and so that there's a picture somewhere of the of how we recorded, but everybody's in the same room, and then we had percussion on this yeah. record in in addition to the drummer. So we normally have John Alvey playing drums, uh, but the percussion was Giovanni Rodriguez. Okay, uh, he played all the percussion, and they were in one room, and everybody else was in the other. Do you guys ever struggle with like finding a way to make acoustic instruments work with? with drums and percussion stuff because they do kind of like step on that yeah role a little bit right we were a little concerned just at first with you know how it was going to sound you mm-hmm. know or how we were going to find if we were going to be able to carve out you know the the our instruments out of the record if it was just going to be kind of muddy and uh and the way those guys played was just i mean and, and that was another thing we'd never heard giovanni play 
that was a Brent, yeah, yeah, Brent decision, and and now you know it's like he's just amazing, and um, and he's another guy that plays everything, but he played all this percussion stuff, and and then John Alvey's just such a great drummer, and he's he's more of a jazz guy, and so he kind of need that actually. I he think. just knows exactly what it needs, right? And uh, and so yeah, just and it seemed like everybody just kind of played with you know together on that. So with such a big instrumentation, did you have to, like, was there a process of, like, going through it and, like, working out how it was going to all come together? Or did you guys just Not sit down really, and man. knock we it out? We just sat down and played. Yeah. I mean, we the, we did the first song, which I think was Born with the Blues, which was the first song on the record. And, um, of course, like, the first part of that is just me and Rob, and then the band kind of comes in, Kicks and in. Yeah. the B3 comes in, and so it just kind of builds. Yeah, I remember listening back. I think we were just going to go record it and listen back, and it just all... That was, together, that was it. Yeah, it was like that yeah. was it. And it was like, and we probably did it. So every t- every song on there is like one take. There's wow. no we didn't. You know, and no, that was so the other records we would like. You know, if we liked a guitar solo off of chop it, this, you know, it chop yeah. it and put it in this take. And uh, we didn't do any of that on this one. And vocally, you do. And vocally, you do everything live yeah, as well. You don't know totally live. Was amazing man. And so uh, I mean, it's you know, there's probably some stuff that when I hear it back, it's like I would like to change it, but I. I'm glad we don't. Yeah, you know, I'm just. Yeah. I'm glad to do it. You yeah, know? that's cool. That's a great way to work. And then, yeah, we we had this uh, this one song on the record when we did it in pre-production. It's like, I we definitely need somebody singing on the third verse. You know, it's like it definitely needs a special guest. And uh, and so when Brent picked it out to be on the record, and even said this is going to be the title track. You know, it's like okay, well we need to uh, figure out who's going to be on the the special guest on the record. And so Rob and I made like a list mm-hmm. and it was just like, we talked about it and it was just kind of going to be sort of a joke of like, here's 10, you know, people that if you could have anybody on, on there, you know, who would it be? You know, like Eric Clapton or, you know, yeah. whoever. And the top of both of our lists was Todd in the hall. I was like, well, let's try, you know, might as well try. And are actually, big, are you a big Taj fan? I love Taj. Yeah. He's one of my favorites. And, and uh, and I was just in a way into Taj mode, you know, and I'd been listening to Giant Steps a bunch, and uh-huh. and just for some reason it just it it sounded like Taj would just sound great on this. And had you and met then, him? Have you met him? Before? I'd never met him before, okay. but Rob had met him. Yeah, uh, and Rob actually knows his drummer fairly well. Okay, and so that's how we got the record to Taj. Drummer. So you sent him the complete track. Yeah, minus and, and it's like with what, just a bunch of space on yeah. it. Yeah, well, you, I sang you, it. Okay, yeah, I sang it going down, and then we just replaced my guitar. Or actually, no, so I just played it. We just played it, and then I came back in and sang it. That's what it was. And then, uh, and we sent it to him because you sing like the first couple of yeah. verses or something. So I sang right? the Does first that? two verses. Yeah, and then the yeah the first two choruses, and then he sings the the third verse and the third chorus, and then we split the bridge. Yeah. When I wrote that bridge, it's like I it seemed. Like I had written it in two parts. Like I felt like it needed somebody mm-hmm. else doing the the other part. And so when he, when we sent it to him, it was like, and if you think about the bridge too, you know, if if that's something you're into, and he was totally into it. And so and, you just heard back from him, and he was like, yeah, yeah I was like, yeah, that I'd, I'd love to do it. Cool. And uh, I was like, no hesitation really at all. You know? Awesome. And so and did he come to you guys, or he did? Wow. And that was that was the only thing that we had to talk about a little bit because. Um, Brent really wanted to work with him, and then we really right. wanted to work in the studio with him. And, so, uh, were you thinking about re-recording the song with him live or something? No, um, it had kind of come up, but we knew that you know we we loved the track that was there, you know? right? 
And so we were just going to have him kind of overdub his vocal. And then he played guitar on, he, he did a couple passes where he played guitar on the whole thing. Was he playing as national it. or something? He's playing a national, and oh, then nice. so he he opens the track, and then at the very end. Oh, okay, yeah, because there's sort of like a little yeah there's discussion like an interlude, thing and the, yeah, right? so yeah, he talks okay. at the very first, and we had no direction for that at all. It was really? just like we want some kind of an intro. Just feel like you would be you know perfect, and so I remember he did like 20 minutes just all together of him just playing and singing, and so there's part of the first and part of the last is from yeah. that. And so did he show up and like knew the song? Yeah. That's that's he some of those guys, it. the older dudes, like they don't yeah. do their homework sometimes. Man, he, <laughs> so we took him out to dinner. So he flew from Hawaii to so I guess he lives out in uh San Francisco maybe and and so he flew from Oakland to uh Nashville the night before, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I knew, you know, I just assumed he was gonna be give out, you know, wouldn't wanna do anything. But yeah, he wanted to go get something to eat and uh and he just told He's a big stories. barbecue guy, man. Yeah, so that's exactly what he said. Uh, Got to have some south in my mouth. That's exactly what he said when we first picked him up. And so it was like, okay, well, we'll, we'll go get something to eat, you know. And we took him out to eat, and he just told all these great stories, you know. Really? Talked about Vassar Clements, and like he's just did totally he do? Did Vassar play on some of his records? I guess, I don't know if he ever really worked with Vassar that much, but he was good friends with Clarence White, you know, really? in California. And uh, yeah, I guess I mean they were those, definitely the same era. And yeah, same I knew scene. all those bluegrass guys out there, and, yeah. and still knows you know Roland and um, and just his depth of everything hmm. was really inspiring. Because after we got done with the session, I sat there for two or three hours and just played, you know, like well here's a a Bing Crosby thing that's got Louis Armstrong on it that you know mm-hmm. not many people have heard that's really obscure and, and like well here's you know he just play all this stuff that he was way into that I mean it was just mind blowing yeah, and then yeah. to hear him and Brent kind of talk about stuff because Brent has worked with everybody from you know Duke Ellington and you know Ray Charles and and so it was very cool to hear those two go yeah. at it just kind of <laughs> chat you know for for an hour or so, so his his vocal on that song was it just like a one it was take just a through couple kind of thing takes, man. Yeah. i mean he just did it a couple times and nailed it awesome you know that's it's probably exactly what you were looking for right? yeah, yeah yeah i mean you, you're not totally expecting it yeah. but i guess with somebody like that i mean and then we've done we did a show with him a couple of months ago and we're, we're doing a tour with him are you uh, oh, cool. next month so that'll yeah. be cool we're coming to nashville playing the city winery oh wicked and so that'll be fun you're gonna back him up too or? uh we'll probably do a couple songs with him but we're gonna open the show and then yeah. taj will do his thing and solo uh, or with a band with a band cool yeah yeah so that'll be fun and the vince gill thing on that record was that another yeah. thing where you just sort of like well a, a wish list kind of thing or yeah i mean and you know vince is one of my favorite singers and guitar yeah. I mean he's everybody's favorite singer yeah. and guitar player <laughs> and so on the country blues he sang on uh, a Hank Williams tune and so I guess at some something that Rob was doing that Vince was also doing he came up to Rob like a couple years ago and he said uh, I love that record that, that you and, and Trey did and it's not left my CD player since I've you oh, know, cool. listened to it wow. and so Rob said That's oh heavy. man we're getting ready to, to work on a new record if yeah, if you know anybody that can sing harmony vocals, and <laughs> it's like, hey, if you need me for anything, man, that'd be great. Yeah. And so, uh, and you know, it's like, okay, well, let's ask him again for this one. And we sent him a couple songs, and he really liked Brown Eyed Women. Mm-hmm. But you know, when he came in, he said uh, he asked us which who who wrote it. It was like, oh man, it's a Grateful Dead song. Of course, he didn't. Yeah, you know, he didn't 
didn't know any Grateful Dead stuff. But mm-hmm. man, he he's another one of those guys. You know, just comes in and opens his mouth, and he's literally there yeah. ten minutes, and you're. And I think all of the uh, all of the the guest singing on it was mm-hmm. overdubbed, except yeah. for Rob does a harmony vocal on uh, both ends of my rainbow. Okay, that was are there other, are there other guests aside from Taj Mahal? Um, so Vince? Suzanne Cox sang oh, yeah. on uh, on Here But I'm Lonely. Yeah. Um, Have you worked with her before? Yeah, she was on the first record. Oh, she okay. was on um, two songs on there, I think. Next time you make a record, are you going to work with him again? Do you think? Yeah, I think yeah. so. I mean, cool. we we love working with Brent. Actually, uh, tomorrow we're going to get together and yeah. we've been writing songs with him. We've, we've written like a whole entire concept album with him. Really? That's that's in the works to be kind of a play. Wow. That he cool. had the idea for. Okay. Uh, and so we worked on that right after this record and. Uh, and you've been doing some co-writing with some some pretty heavy folks too. Yeah, I wrote uh, wrote last week with uh, Larry Shell and Larry Cordell and yeah. uh, a good buddy of mine in, in town, uh, Tom Utes. Do you was, like doing that co-writing? I thing? do, man. Uh-huh. I, I, it was something that um, I wasn't sure how I was going to like it. A little nerve wracking yeah, at first, it's, right? It yeah. just takes me a little bit to kind of open up and be confident with anything, you know, or just throw stuff out because you know. It, but it's really cool to get to work with with those guys because everybody does the same thing you know we, we should all throw stuff out and see what works and what doesn't work yeah and so that's that's been cool and actually i like it a lot more that because before then i don't i'd only like co-written out in east tennessee uh-huh. and, um it's a little and different league here. it's yeah it's <laughs> like i mean it's, they were great songwriters but it's you know it just seemed like we were uh, yeah just just writing for a record or something that was right. another thing is like we we knew we were just writing this song for something that I wanted to record. I'd love to hear you play a little bit if you're uh, yeah, man. for <laughs> just play, you know, whether it's just like randomly or, or if, um, uh, you know, I think one thing that's, that's super interesting that we've talked about a lot is, is like all your different influences and stuff. And I, I wondered if maybe you could just play a l- little bit and talk just a bit about, um, you know, how, when you're, when you're playing like with Rob or whatever, when you're doing gigs, like how some of that kind of stuff sneaks into your playing and yeah. I mean, I think a lot of, you know, like my first, first kind of thought is like the Tony stuff, you know, is mm-hmm. to not do the. But I mean, that's that's kind of the basic bluegrass, yeah. you know, it's like your kind of go-to stuff. But when I'm playing something, you know, with Rob, it seems like now... Especially, and I think electric guitar got more into the. And that was a lot of, yeah, yeah, it's like I I try to work on bends when I'm at home because, you know, these 13 gauge strings do not like to bend that much. And so. How much can I bend them without? Yeah, breaking I hear a little BB King in there too. Yeah, like, I mean, you, you know, it's like I, I think it's st- stealing from you know whoever and yeah, whatever. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's a lot of electric guitar stuff that uh-huh. kind of influenced me more with with my acoustic playing over these past couple of years. And I know Rob and I have talked about that a lot because he's way into electric guitar players. But yeah, a lot of that, you know, is is just the. I mean, I'll 
sit and work on bends, and especially different guitars. Like this one, it's it's made after like a, a Gibson J style guitar. Right. So the bridge is you know a little further up in the the scale length is different mm -hmm. and it's easier to bend on versus when I get that 54 which yeah. is a you know it's like a tank you're not bending anything to, on there you, you can barely <laughs> bend anything on that but I try to work on it I mean when I'm home I'll I'll leave that guitar out and try to work on you know even just in yeah. or work on bending with just different one finger. fingers yeah with yeah. with one finger or whatever and uh but yeah, I mean, I try to just like a lot of stuff that I would work on when I was trying to figure out the fretboard that I, I think about a lot with when I'm playing a solo is just like trying to open up different parts of it. And I guess it's uh, like learning the different G position or learning like a G run yeah. on the different parts of the, the fret. That's kind of based yeah. around, you know, going to these different yep, parts yep. of the fretboard. So I, I worked on that a lot, it uh -huh. seemed like when I was trying to get away from just playing licks. You right. Know, I was just trying to figure out. And when you're practicing that stuff at home, do you do you do it just straight up unaccompanied like that? Or do you like. Yeah, a lot of times. And then I still like playing with records. Yeah. That's still my favorite thing to do. But uh -huh. I mean, you just, it seems like you get in your own groove when you're playing by yourself. Yeah. Which can be a bad thing you know, <laughs> if the, the timing isn't, you know. So working. what would you stick on if you wanted to play along with something? Like, would it be uh, like an Al Green record or like a Tony Rice record? A little bit of everything, man. Yeah. I mean, I, I spent a lot of time with that Grant Green record. Yeah. You know, yeah. That, uh, uh, yeah, that's got the. What about Grant Green's playing? Do you dig? Like, what what have you learned? Well, it's from him? very you know like single string. And I mean, I loved like my first kind of jazz guitar player that I really got into was you know the Wes Montgomery. Yeah. But you know, it it a lot of it didn't translate that well on on an acoustic guitar for me right. for playing what I did. But I love the when Grant Green. I mean, it's just like he does a lot of the single string stuff that uh, it's just like a hipper version of Chuck Berry. I mean, I love right. Chuck Berry, but you know, it just seems like a a very hip way to play thing. I mean, that record in particular, that mm -hmm. the gospel one, um, just so much. So, what's the general vibe of that of that record like? Like, can you play a little something from it? Or, uh, yeah, or I mean, something like, like sort know. of like sounds like it.
like you know, wicked. It's, it's, so some of the ja- the jazz influence that you've had, uh, you mentioned that you don't read. Do you? Do you read music? I mean, have you taught yourself theory at all? Or <laughs> I you, wish I strictly had. by ear, like it's you're strictly that by stuff? ear. You yeah, know, it's it's so I don't I don't have a clue what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> I just try to play until it sounds yeah. okay, you know, or just yeah. try to copy. So it's still like lick based, uh-huh. I guess. Um, and it's yeah, that's that's uh, it's definitely a learning curve. I mean, especially when I'm teaching, you know, at a camp or something. Uh, you do you do you do some teaching? I do yeah, yeah. we've done a lot of camps seems uh-huh. like and it's always a different you know it's a and especially if there's just like it's never worked out where there's two guitar players teaching and then I'm the other guitar player cuz I'm the one that's like oh I don't do anything I just listen to records you know like there, there's my hour field <laughs> yeah. listen to this guy he, yeah. he knows more than I do uh, yeah I mean, it's like I, I, we just taught it at, uh, it's always the best players that claim to not know what they're doing. So there you go. <laughs> oh man, well it's it's uh, it's definitely a learning curve, but uh, but uh, I I enjoy it. I it's yeah. still it's still kind of a thrill for me to sit down with the record and and try to. I don't know if it's you know that was kind of my childhood, so it's a, it's a bit nostalgic. It's you know, but I still do it when I'm on the road. I try to learn something every day. Mm-hmm. You know, I try to work on something every day. Like what kind of stuff would you work on in these days? Really, it all kind of changes from day to day. Like yeah. I, I got weighted at Norman Blake a couple months ago, and He's I was so great, trying to yeah. learn some of those Norman Blake tunes, and and it's just totally different style. You right. Know, it's it's. Uh, do you like those Blake and Rice records? I do. I love yeah. those. Yeah. And so, but I mean, just like you know. Uh, uh, the Fields of November, I was listening to that just a bunch a couple of months back and just trying to learn even just rhythm patterns and stuff yeah. that he plays because it's totally different than the way Doc played. And then some days, you know, it's it's listening to Charlie Parker or Sonny Rollins or something. And, and I spent a lot of time with, with like those Schofield records and stuff uh-huh. trying to, and for electric guitar, working on some of that stuff. And uh, That stuff translates into what you do really yeah, well. Yeah, it seems like too, I've, right? I've been able to still <laughs> well it's funny we were talking about uh when we teach at a camp we talk about this song that rob and i recorded called george on a fast train that has this uh kind of rhythm lick that kicks it off it's kind of a, a halftime uh uh-huh. uh drum thing but i play like and i was trying to think of like why i mean why what was i into at that time because somebody was asking me about that and it just kind of hit me that I was way in a slot in the family stone, nice. and I was working on all that rhythm stuff. Yeah, you know, it's like yeah. it just all translates, with, you know, subconsciously or yeah, man, or that's not, what it's all know. about. Yeah. So yeah, I try to. That's what I try to do most of my life is just not think about <laughs> what it is I'm getting ready to do. <laughs> seems seems to work out okay. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> try to try to do that at least. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, shit, thanks, man. Yeah, man, yeah, thanks, thanks for, for coming and doing this. Heck yeah, man, talking. thanks for having me over. Yeah, man, what a treat. It's amazing to hear you play. Ah, uh, well, close. man, we'll have to pick some soon. Thanks for listening, everybody. That was my conversation with Trey Hensley. I hope you enjoyed it. I had a blast talking to him and hanging out. And we will see you next month for another gripping episode of Music Makers and Soul Shakers. See you then. Thank you for listening, everybody. The Music Makers and Soul Shakers podcast was recorded in Nashville, Tennessee at the Hen House Studio. You can visit us online at www.stevedawson.ca. 
As always, I would like to thank Jeremy Holmes in Vancouver, BC for his help with research, and we'll see you next month for another gripping episode of Music Makers and Soul Shakers. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.